Hello and welcome everyone to another amazing week of the encounter. Today we're talking about Sunday, April 24th. It says, do not doubt, but believe. I am one of your co-hosts, Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I'm the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I am joined by our um, other amazing and awesome co-hosts. That's what my wife says, part do. Anyway, um, amazing and awesome. I try my Amazing and best. awesome. Yes. Um, my name's Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministry Coordinator for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And um, welcome. And we're finishing John today. So we are. We've been in John for what, five months? It's been a while. I and think it's been a while. We've been in I've John learned more about John. Oh, it's been awesome. I hope you've been following along with us. We There's been so much information that our writers have pulled out through the study of John that have really just helped me understand John better myself. It's been, it's been a great journey. I've really enjoyed it. And today our scripture selection is going to come from John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31. And our memory verse is John 20, 27, which says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Let's begin with our prayer for illumination. Gracious God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Illumine our minds to know your truth. Strengthen our desires so that we might pursue more and more of you and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Chris, you're our author this week. Last one, last you, time for a while. Yeah, last time for a couple of weeks, which means you get to host next week, which is awesome. So <laughs> our discussion question that you start us with, I really love this because this scripture selection and the things that we're going to talk about in this lesson are things that I've struggled with personally, but this discussion question really made me think of a specific story that I want to share. You say, can you think of a time in your spiritual life where you had to grapple with doubts? What was it? It what was it that gave you doubts? Have they been resolved? And do you still have doubts about your faith? The story I wanted to share was as a pastor, um, people know me as a community leader. And there was a woman that had come to me. She didn't attend my church, but she knew who I was. And she had asked for some counseling. Uh, because she at that time in her life was really struggling with some doubts, doubts about her faith, doubts about her belief. Um, you know, did she really believe who God was that God claimed to be? And she had went to her own pastor um, and what her pastor told her really hurt her and made it, made it harder for her um, because she went to him and, and confessed her doubts and said that she was struggling. And her pastor told her that, if you have doubts, that means you never truly believe to begin with. And that really hurt her because she's been a lifelong, I mean, she's been lifelong in the church and really was what was struggling at that moment. And so what we talked about and what we're going to talk about in this lesson is that doubt often is, it's part of our faith journey. It's part of our story. It's something I think that we've all struggled with at some point in time, if we're truly honest with ourselves, um, that we struggle with do I really believe what I believe or, or do I really believe God to be who God claims to be, or how do I understand that? And it should be something that strengthens our faith, um, that we're going to talk about. So I just wanted to share that story to really kind of get us into the introduction. So what do you have in our, our introduction today? 
Um, I think that's a really good illustration. Like, I'm I'm sad that the pastor responded the way they did, but it's not unusual, right? I mean, like we've been taught that before, probably, or we've heard somebody say that, and we know it's evidently not true. It's evidently not true because that's the exact same thing that was happening in this story. And Jesus did not rebuke Thomas. Jesus said, you know, stop doubting, just believe. And, and we'll talk about it further. I think what Jesus was saying, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the last week that you don't understand and you're human and that's okay, but at least believe me, believe me. And then maybe some of this other stuff will come into focus. I think is the way Jesus, and I think that's the way our, we'll talk about it later, but I think that's the way we have to approach it. Like we, we can take things by faith, but like it says in scripture, faith isn't complete knowledge. Faith is that you're trusting and then, then your faith can mature and become something that, that, um, that's worth having, right? Like, um, I, I brought up Eli Weissel, uh, who was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was a Jewish person. He wasn't a Christian, but, uh, he said, my tradition teaches, um, when somebody asked him about his faith, he says, my tradition teaches that no heart is as whole as a broken heart. And I would say no faith is as solid as a wounded faith. And, and I think that's just self-evidently true. There's nothing that we have in our life that, that is just easy that we value or we, right. we work with. I mean, it's just we, the things oftentimes that are just easy and given to us, we take for granted and we don't develop and we don't think about. And so mm-hmm. scripture, history, tradition, experience should show us that faith and doubt are always going to be in the same space until that glorious day when we're called home, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think it's that doubt again, that just strengthens our faith because when, like with Thomas, when he doubted and Jesus says, don't doubt, but believe, um, how much more faith did he have in that moment from his doubt, from struggling with that at that moment to then turn around and then believe. And we're going to get into a little bit of Thomas's story in the next section and, and the amazing work that Thomas did um, after after this moment in time, right? I mean, that's what doubt does. It causes us to dig deeper, at least for me. It can. It can cause us to dig deeper and really look at why it is that we believe what we believe. And hopefully you come out strengthened in your faith on the other side of that. I know at least in my story, that's the way it was because my doubts went, okay, why do I really believe this? And why do I really understand this to be this way? And it caused me to study further and dig deeper into it. I think the key to it would just be that last sentence in the introduction question. Jesus was patient with Thomas. Jesus will be patient with us. And I think you then can be patient with yourself. I mean, like if, if you have a higher standard than what Jesus has for you, then you're a Pharisee, right? Sure. Don't do that. Don't be a Pharisee. Yeah. That's, that's a a great point. That's an excellent point. So in the historical and contextual setting, you get into some really good information about Thomas. He gets a bad rap. You know, he has had the rap of doubting Thomas this whole time. So let's do some clarification maybe and look at Thomas in a different light. What do you have for us in the contextual setting? I mean, one of the things I knew when I was even just, you know, slightly associated with biblical knowledge is I used, I I knew the term doubting Thomas. 
and it's it's so unfortunate because everybody uses it and it's like yeah that's so sad <laughs> like yeah uh because people I've, I've learned this and it's probably gotten worse in our culture you know people are known for a tweet they've done something they've said and then they and then it's very hard to get past that and then you're painted a certain way I mean like I'll go to you know when me and my family get together you know my mom or dad or sister or somebody will inevitably remember something stupid I did but I'm not that person anymore no um, I've changed <laughs> I've matured and you know we've all done these stupid things and it's unfortunate when you get pigeonholed uh, we yeah. we'll talk about this again later, but I think that's what's happened with Thomas. And so when we talk about the setting, it's hard to get past because he really wasn't in a lot of scriptures. Uh, no. We'll talk about this. So like that's his most famous one for whatever reason. And so that's what he gets stuck with. But, uh, you know, there are some traditions associated with Thomas. We, you know, they could be legend in some sense, but there's enough early Christian sources that attest to Thomas doing some type of mission activity activity in India. So we would like to think at least we know that part's true. And, you know, somebody's got to die somehow. And so I'm guessing that what we get from church tradition is probably pretty close to accurate, where this person that we call Doubting Thomas ultimately gave his life to advance the faith of the gospel. Yes. Um, and, and because it's not in the scripture, we don't give that credit to him. Uh, we just stick on the Doubting Thomas part. Yeah. And then I did bring up the two, and we can talk about this, just the, the two places in which John, or, you know, other than just the list of disciples, the two instances in which he plays a part have to do with faith and doubt yes. and what to do in response to it. Yeah. So. And his first story you talk about in John 11 is where they're, where Jesus is going back to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. And they've said, you know, Jesus, don't go, you know, you're going to be killed. And Thomas going to go well for us if we go back. Yeah. <laughs> but Thomas says this amazing thing. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Yeah. You know what? Now that's a beautiful picture of faith. I that is a beautiful picture of faith. It is because like, cause I'm a pessimist, as you know, right? Like I'm a realist or whatever you want to call it. So yeah. I can imagine him saying, well, it's been a good one. I've gone this far with him. Let's just see it through. Might as well go to the But end. as pessimistic as I think that that might be, it is faith still. Yeah. Like he's saying, I've put everything into this and I believe it. So let's see through it. See yeah. it through to the end. I think there's something cool in that. Um, Absolutely. And inworthy. strong. You know, I mean, just the faith that it took, the strength of faith that it took to not go, okay, self-preservation says, let's let's just let him go to Bethany and and face the consequences on his own but the strength of faith that it took to say well we'll just we'll just die with him I mean yeah. we believe in who he is because you're not going to die with somebody unless you believe in the cause right or so, resign to it right so I mean so there's <laughs> this beautiful picture that Thomas was believing in who christ was you know that he was willing to go and die with him right. what you know so then the, that. yeah and then the second one is the one that's the famous one it's the subject of what we write about today and this is when you know the he was not with them at the grave to say you know he's risen and so they the disciples come to him and say hey he's risen and thomas is like i ain't gonna do this again and that sounds terrible but that also shows, I think, the, the rubber band effect that he was so in 
that he was absolutely crushed. Yeah. And, and it's like, what is it? Shakespeare. Is it better to live and lost in love than to never love at all? Because people get so excited about a relationship and they think this is the one and then they're crushed and they're scared to ever do it again. And it's not because they don't believe in love. It's not that they don't like love. It's that it hurts so bad. And so this is probably one of the most real scenes in the gospel is that Thomas is just saying, I almost, I can't do this again. Like I can't, it was too hurt. Like he was so in with Jesus that, Mm -hmm. that it hurt him when Christ died. And so um, I think that as pessimistic as I am, I think that's about right. I think he just, yeah. you know, I would agree with that. I would agree with that entirely that he was, you know, because if you're so into the point where if you think about the raising of Lazarus, you know, it was like what a week before, yeah. before Christ's death on the cross. If you think about the timeline of how things happened, he was so in at that point that he was willing to die. with jesus and then a week later jesus dies yeah i mean i can i can't even imagine you know we talk about it going through holy week we talk about the roller coaster of emotions that the disciples must have gone through but i just i just can't even imagine for myself you know when you talk about the triumphal entry and then everything that happened and then all of a sudden he died and then all of a sudden he's back again you know i mean just the roller coaster of emotions that they had to go through that week i imagine thomas was just yeah you're you're tired just, and you're deeply disappointed just can't. yeah i just can't um, anymore yeah and so I, that's where i think you know that last paragraph when i when i write it I, so how should we remember him should we remember him as the one who who was going to go die with jesus should we remember him as the doubting Thomas or should we remember him as the one who died because he was spreading the faith? And I think you just remember Thomas as a disciple of Jesus Christ that grew, right? Like, yes. Um, yeah. My wife uh, for my birthday bought me this uh, collage from Michael. She had a bunch of pictures. And at the time I was a 223 pound person and now I'm 165 pounds. I'm not that same person. I'm not that same person physically. I'm not that same person mentally emotionally our mine and my wife's relationship is different it's grown it's you know we're completely different we're not a photograph right like we true we're just different uh, as we grow and if we work through doubts chances are we're going to be stronger and we're going to be better and we're going to be more useful for the kingdom of god when we reckon with those doubts not it won't help if we ignore them it won't help if we lose faith, but when you commit to struggling, you'll become better. Mm, commit to struggling. Now yeah. that's a phrase, but that's something that you really hit, I think, in the discussion questions on the end of this section when you ask, how has your faith grown over the years? In what ways are you more mature now than two years ago? And do you think you have more growing to do? Yeah, I did the two years mm. because I figured that encapsulated the COVID thing because I think the COVID, COVID brought out a lot of weaknesses in our society and in <laughs> ourselves and in the way we interact yeah. with people. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it brought, I think it probably brought a crisis of faith to some people like yeah, yeah, through people dying or through not yeah. being able to go to church or not being able to have the fellowship that you normally do. There's a lot of struggle yeah. there those two years. There is a lot of struggle there. What does your faith community mean to you? You know, how committed are you to your faith community? 
Um, those, those are all great questions, but has your faith grown over the years? I, I agree that, um, through doubt, hopefully it will, it will grow as it's challenged. I know from, I'm, I'm one of those people that, um, I don't know. My husband likes to tell me every once in a while, I'm a little competitive uh, perhaps. <laughs> and so sometimes it's through those challenges that I grow the most um, when my faith has been challenged is when my growth has changed. So yeah, those are great I would questions. I dare say that your faith has grown just like everybody else's scripturally, traditionally, you know, yes. in, in life because of struggle. And we'll talk about yes. that in this next section. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Everything we are. is sunshine and roses. You just don't grow much. No, no, that's true. And and we are. We're going to, you do a great job in the comparing scripture to scripture. I wouldn't have thought about putting these scriptures together, but this is excellent. We're going to talk about Moses and Elijah. So what do you got for us in this section? Um, so just the exploring, comparing the scripture to scripture. This is one of those where I was pinched on time. I kind of picked up a couple of lessons and I was like, okay, how's the best way to explain this? I could get all theological and scholarly, or I could go the route of just saying, let's illustrate this in a, in a, hopefully a profound way, or at least a deep uh, way. And I think you did a fantastic Profound job. is a little high goal, but you know, at least if it moves the conversation along. Um, but if you just take your own personal experiences, again, mm-hmm. chances are, if you're reading this encounter thing, you've been in the church for a while, you've you've lived life and you've had to, you've had to grow hopefully. Uh, and maybe you've been challenged by God. And then your reactions has either been to push forth in uncomfortableness and, and respond to the call of God, or maybe you're uh, like Moses or the other people that uh, tried to push back and came up with all kinds of excuses. I think the, the, the easiest way I could go is that on page 53, I, just when I read through the story of Moses and the burning bush or Moses is God's call of Moses. Um, I tried to think about it in a contemporary way. So when God says, Hey, you need to go to Pharaoh. First thing he says, well, who am I? Nobody would know me. And, and like God, you know, essentially what Moses was saying, well, I'm nobody important. I mean, who am I to these people? And then the second thing we would say is, well, well, what if I go, who cares if they know me? They, I'm nobody to them. I'm a shepherd that's run away from right. the Egyptians. So I have no authority over these people, right? And the third thing would be, well, I could say whatever you want me to, but it's me and I have no authority and I'm nobody. So why are they going to believe me, right? Or, yeah. you know, they just don't trust me enough, right? The fourth, you know, Moses was pretty, pretty adamant about, look, I can't even talk. Like I can't talk, right? Like I have mm-hmm. a stutter or whatever, however you want to say yes. Yeah, which essentially means I'm not good enough. You know, look, God, I'm not good enough. And then number five would be just just send somebody else. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to like, you know, and essentially it's just that we're scared to do it. Becky, I would say when you answered the call to ministry, you know, there's going to be some people who are different. But for the vast majority, when I when I talk to pastors and I ask them about their call, they go through all five of these almost you can go ahead and write it. This is, you know, details will change because people change, but pretty much all five of those. Um, mm-hmm. And then finally, like Moses, God doesn't, you know, the hounds of the hounds of heaven always chase you and you, you probably end up doing it. And when you look back, you realize maybe you had to go to that stage so that you could grow and do what you needed to do. Yes, absolutely. I think all of us, I would agree that every pastor that I've talked to, these five things 
probably are pretty common uh, on our own conversations of why, why me? You know, I mean, that's like the first question I think that we always come up with is why me of all the people that you could pick? Why, why would you pick me to, to, to pastor? Cause I don't, I don't have the skill set that you're looking for or that I think you should be looking for me. That's a better preface. I think that you should be looking for it. It's not what I have. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you go somewhere and you, you know, somebody's like, Hey, good looking. And they're talking to you, but you're like, oh. Who are they talking to? Who? Like, who? who? What? Who? Uh, what? You know, like, <laughs> Not me. Couldn't be me. Not me. <laughs> um, exactly. So the other thing that I didn't have time to bring up or the word count, but scripturally speaking, and, and I can point to almost every major character of scripture, God pushes us out of our comfort zone. Or when Jesus yes. says, the, so here's the, here's the big one. Um, and I need to develop this more. Uh, when Jesus says, if a kernel of wheat, Unless a kernel of wheat falls and dies, it remains a single seed. But when it falls and dies, it multiplies. And I think what Jesus was saying is you connect it to pick up your cross and follow me. You die to yourself, your understanding of yourself, your understanding of God. All of that self-understanding is secondary. And then God has to pull you out of that and, and put you into an uncomfortable place. So like Abraham. God didn't say, I need you to stay exactly where you are with all of your comforts, with all of your, you know, all of your security blankets and, and we'll work together. But God said, no, I need you to leave everything you find secure and then follow. He does this with Joseph. Now, Joseph obviously was sold to slaves, but he was thrown out of, there's not a single scripture. Like I bring up Elijah, you know, there's not a single person in scripture or history uh, like St. Francis of Assisi, we talked about like he runs from his father naked, if I remember, because he's giving up the ways of the world, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it's just, we have to get uncomfortable uh, in life before we will struggle grow. and learn. Yeah. yeah, but that's where you grow. That's where you develop and change. I'm going to share the screen. So one of the uh, t- teaching, uh, th- not the, well, I guess since I'm a preacher, it's a theology of teaching. Uh but anyway, it's it's a kind of a newer theory, but it's called the zone of learning. I'm assuming, Becky, you can see this, hopefully. Um, yep, I can see it. Um, the way I explain the zone of learning is if you imagine learning as a as a uh, you know ruler, you got 12 inches. Let's say that you, you've reached six inches. You teach in the seven and eight inch block. And, and so it pushes you further down, you know, you're growing. But this is probably a better thing. So like right in the middle, you have your comfort zone, safety, security, routine, convenience, relaxation, pleasure. You can die here, right? These are all the things that we, we crave, we, we say we crave. Okay. Let's put that in quote. We say that we crave this. And and it's just easier. This is, this would be, this is easy. Yeah. This is Abraham staying with his family. Yes. Uh, But then God says, I need you to go. I'm not going to show you where, but I'm going to be with you. So then you have this growth zone. And then you have a panic zone. Now, if God said, I need you to go and I'm not going to be with you and I'm not going to tell you where you go past the, the zone of learning and now you're in panic zone. You're like, oh, right. Lord, I can't do this. This is not going to happen. But what no. we want to do is with every time we teach, you know, we want to be in this growth zone where you have to have an adventure, the unknown. You have to have some problem that you're solving or some challenge to overcome. And then what ends up happening is then all of those zones then grow as you grow those those 
that comfort zone grows. So like you're adding to your comfort once you master in a bit, like say you were scared of heights, but then you started climbing just a little bit higher on the ladder each time your yeah. comfort zone grows. Now, like I said, if you're scared of heights and then all of a sudden you like go up on the empire state building and look over, you might. That's panic. That's, that's panic. panic zone. You don't want to do that. Yeah. So, but essentially I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say divine will is just a systematic learning, but what I am saying is I think the reason why this type of learning happens is because it's God's, it's how God is um, pushing us. It's how God has yeah. worked with God's people for, you know, since the beginning. Yeah. He pushes you outside of that, that comfort zone. I mean, that's, that's where you, that's where you grow and change and develop. And, and I think one of the things that we have lost or forgotten or don't teach very well in our culture is, is for whatever reason, our young people think that they have to be perfect at everything, everything. at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm not sure where, where we shifted in that learning ability, because I know even for myself, um, when I've faced new challenges, I, I struggle with feeling like I need to know everything right away and not giving myself enough grace to understand that it's a process that I'm not going to have all the answers right away. And it's, it's a part of the growth process. And it's the same with our Christianity, with our faith is it's, it's a journey. It's a process. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to get comfortable for a little while and then God's going to stretch us. Yeah. And we're going to fail a lot and we're going to fail like, and that's okay. That's okay. And I think maybe that's some of the stuff where we're surrounded by, like, um, it's weird. We push our kids to be perfect. You know, like we, we plan out their lives, got to go to college, get a good job and all that jazz, but you know, it's hard to work all that out. Yeah. And sometimes like my stepdaughter's pretty bad at this where she's like, if she gets a B on something like the whole world's over and I'm like, oh, honey, let me tell you, I got a doctorate and I, I got a lot of these in my life. <laughs> like, but, you know, but learning is different than simply making a grade. Yeah. I mean, like if I wanted to, I could ace every single class because I can memorize, but I might not learn anything. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's I think, very different. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that we as pastors certainly don't need to have the attitude of the pastor that you brought up in our introduction right? to set up this standard that nobody's ever accomplished. Yeah. And I think Jesus gives us this example in this passage where he's patient with Thomas and he says, yeah, hey, I'm still with you. And I think that's the other part in all of the scripture stories when it comes to doubt and struggle you always have a promise that I'm going to be with you. Like with Moses, I'm with yes. you. I'm going to send Aaron with you or with Abraham. I'm going to be with you as you I'm going to be with you. And yeah. I think that's important. And I think that's a model of Christian discipleship. Like if we, as the church can be with our people, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, yes. We're the presence of God in people's lives. As a Sunday school teacher, you're not just teaching information. You're discipling people, growing their faith and these kinds of things. Yes. You're helping them learn you should be hopefully challenging them to a certain degree to understand scripture differently or to think deeper about the scripture than they had before. But we should be, as teachers, we should be challenging our students to help grow and change and think things through. At the end, you have these discussion questions that have you ever felt helpless? Has it stopped your spiritual growth? In what ways have you sought to be faithful during these times? And I think this is where discipleship really comes into place because sometimes when you doubt, like that woman who came to me, she needed reassurance 
that it wasn't that she never believed it. it was just that she needed she needed some reassurance at the moment and she, she didn't get something. that yeah. She, yeah, she didn't get that from the source that she was looking for. So she had to co- go outside of that. But that's part of our, our responsibility as, as teachers, as leaders, as spiritual leaders. If you're more mature in your faith than somebody else, you have the responsibility to encourage and help other people who are in those places of hopeless and doubting that we should be able to come in and help them and say, okay, what do you got going on? How can I help you understand? How can I help you grow? How can I help you dig deeper into your relationship with Christ and, and come out stronger and more faithful from it? Yeah, I think that's the, so that last paragraph in that section on page 54, it's above the learning Mm -hmm. scripture. As an individual believer, you might be fully committed to Jesus Christ, but then also be scared on how to live. So like, like I said, you may be tempted to give up and think the world's just done. Like I can't do anything. Or you may get so tired that you think you've done a lot of work, but it has been for nothing. But that's fear and doubt in and of itself, right? So this is where last week, Easter, and our last lesson comes into play. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, and we may not feel it. We may even doubt it. But we commit to it because Christ is risen. Like this is a historical event that happened that we know God has spoke the truth. And so... That's where we commit to the truth, but we may have to flesh it out a little bit more. Like there may be times in our life where we're in the panic zone and not the growth zone. Right. Right. So that's, do you think that's kind of where Thomas was then when Christ came to him, he was maybe hitting the panic zone. I think, yeah. I mean, like when he went, you know, doubt, but believe, I would say that brought him back to the growth zone. When you, when you experience a traumatic event in life, PTSD, that's what PTSD is. Like it, it, like I, I could say, I might not seem like it, but I would say that most of the disciples were in a panic. I mean, I think yeah, oh, sure. like everything that you believed in, lived for, supported was all of a sudden gone. I don't know what other human emotion would be other than like stunned silence. Yeah. I don't know how else you'd live because sure if it, because if you weren't stunned, if they weren't deeply disappointed, then they probably weren't in it to begin with. So I would take the, actually the way I'm saying this, I would take the opposite view of what that pastor said. Like if, if somebody lost their faith and, and they didn't reach out, then obviously their faith wasn't that important anyway. It doesn't matter how long you had it. Like if you just woke up one day and said, yeah, that was stupid. How deep were you in it anyway? But if you value something so much and you see that you're you're slipping away and you're so perturbed by and it that you reach out for help, you're struggling. Well, yeah. that means it was important to you. You know, yes. so there's that. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, absolutely. All right. Learning from the scripture, the witness of the church. You have Please. some good points in this too, but go yeah. ahead. So I'm, I'm talking a lot again, but like, no, I think good. this is probably where my, I've, I've told you and the, our audience that I've always struggled about like being seen as intelligent. And sometimes, like I said, I, I, it's like, do I really believe that dude just jumped up from the grave and now the whole world's, I mean, it's, it's silly, but I've been convicted of it. And so I'm committed to it. Yes. And so 
Christians throughout the line, like Augustine, Aquinas, Anselm of Canterbury, have said things like when Augustine said, um, Augustine wrote, I believe so that I might understand. And what he was saying is, unless you commit to a truth, you won't have the heart and the head knowledge coming together to really pursue it. And so it starts with the foundation of saying, this thing I'm studying is true. I'm committed Mm -hmm. to it. And that way, when you have doubts, you don't just throw out the foundation of what you're studying, but you say, okay, I got to make this make sense because I'm committed to it. Um, And then Anselm of Canterbury, uh, he says, um, faith seeking understanding which I think is a, is a good under, I mean, like when you have faith, does it means you don't know everything. And so you seek more of it. You go yes. deeper into it. Uh, so, and then I think Thomas Aquinas has a similar thing. I forgot exactly what he says, but basically he says you start with the revealed truth. Yeah. Or the resurrection. Like since we're in Easter time, you start with the yeah. fact that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And you build on that, even if it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense you know Christ is risen. Yeah. So then how, what's the implication? Yeah. What, what, yeah, that, that's a great way to put it because you can have, I mean, you can take your scripture and you can read it cover to cover and have an immense amount of head knowledge, which is great and amazing and awesome. But unless you have that heart knowledge, I think it was Joyce Meyer one time and she said that the greatest distance on the planet is the 18 inches from here to here. You know, you can have all this head knowledge, but you have to believe it. And commit to it. And, and you're, and, and yeah, and you, you're right. I think there's, if you look at it from the outside perspective, the story of Christ just rising from the dead, it seems very fantastical. Um, and, and I have been challenged by people in my life who, uh, may use the words like, um, I'm glad you believe in that mythical book. Yeah. You know, I I've had people tell me that, but there is something different from understanding here and really believing here. And it, and it's, and it's that faith journey. It's the things that we struggle with in our life that convict us of when we look at. Uh, it does kind of seem silly, but when you have that conviction, when you understand that, yes, maybe that seems silly, but I know I, I, there's, there's a deep knowing beyond knowing that, you know, this is true, that this, and this, this is the real thing. It starts with commitment. As you were talking, I can, mm. I can, I can uh, illustrate it pretty, I think pretty easily. If, if someone has been married or in some deep relationship, it is very hard to build a relationship if you're not sure, like if you're married, it would be hard to have a good relationship if you didn't think that that person you were in that marriage with loved you. Like for, for whatever reason, and you don't necessarily know it to be true, but for it to work right, you've made vows of commitment and you're going to start your day by saying, this person loves me and I love them. And then you'll have arguments. But if you doubted that they loved you, then that argument it means a lot more because you might think, well, see, they don't love me. But if right. you start with the commitment that, yes, they love me and I love them, this argument is something then I love them enough and they love me enough to try to make it better for both of us. Yes. So that's that would be how that it would work out 
with all these church writers that you commit mm -hmm. that God loves you. Christ is risen. It may seem really weird and you may have some doubts, but work it out with that as your foundation. So you believe in order to know your faith seeks understanding these kinds of things. Yes, absolutely. And, and you close this section with, I think the perfect, the perfect example, because it's, it's this, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ah, yeah. I believe and help my unbelief, you know? And I think when we're struggling with doubts, this is something that we, that we all struggle with and that we're all walking through at that time is I believe, I believe God that you rose. I believe that you love me. I believe <laughs> just, that you care. So help me, help yeah. me in my unbelief. I'm just not seeing it right now, Lord. <laughs> You're right. I'm, just, remember, I'm thinking right now, this is more than I need. <laughs> I was sitting in a Bible college class when I first read that story. And I was like, holy goodness, who knew that I was in the Bible? Because it was like, I wanted to believe these things. Like I want to, and I do, yeah. but I just don't get it. And I don't yeah. know if I do as much as I should. <laughs> and so like it made, it's one of those paradoxical teaching type things where somebody says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that sounds mm -hmm. paradoxical, but it's so mm -hmm. right in experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any deep faithful Christian has probably thought that is a perfect prayer. <laughs> yes, because some days it really is. And you ask this question at the end of that, you say, how can a person strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ? I think that's it. It's, it's asking for the help through their unbelief you know i believe but help me help me believe yeah, <laughs> help me like, believe more and i think as teachers as disciples our role that we play in that is an encourager you know i mean we're told in the word that we're supposed to be encouragers in the faith and that's the part that we're supposed to play during somebody's unbelief during somebody's time of doubt is to encourage them to help them guide them lead them better you know, maybe they're struggling with something like that gal that came to me, she was struggling with something. We had a fantastic conversation. And I truly believe that when she left our counseling time of session, that she understood that this was just a moment and that she was just struggling through this and, but needed somebody to encourage her in that. So how can a person strengthen their faith? Help my unbelief. Yeah. Help. Just pray and ask. Yeah. Pray. And then, you know, it would also be to avail yourself of all the spiritual tools that the church has given us over the years through the mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines, like the, the cohort that we're doing, going yeah. to worship, like, right. Like when you talk to Christians yes. and they're like, well, my faith isn't where it should be. Well, when's the last time you went to church? Well, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It is what it is that that's that's part of that commitment and uh and faith <clears throat> yeah so our last section here the applying scripture how do we how do we apply this you really point out the very last point part of john where jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which aren't written in this book but these are written so that you may come to believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that through believing you may have life in his name mm. So I, I take from the fact that Christ is risen. Yeah. And so if John does nothing else, like whatever your theory of the atonement, whatever your theory on these stories, like John wrote this to say Christ is risen and he's a miracle maker comes from God. Start there. 
That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then not only for knowledge, but convict a little bit of conviction just to say, okay, I, I believe that. I'm not sure about all this other stuff. Like, um, for instance, it's never been the miracles that have bothered me in the gospel. Because like, if you assume that God became human being, oh, what's a big deal to raise up somebody from the dead or feed 5,000 people? With I mean, you're God. The thing that sometimes I have lacked out with in the past is that God would love me like this eternal being with all the power in the world by, by just saying something can create everything who can bring people up from the dead, who, who is amazing and majestic would care about me and the terrible person that I am. I can struggle with that. And I have in the past. Sure. That's where I could see where maybe like people can get fanciful with the gospel that yeah. God cares about you as an individual or me. And so that's where I bring up Martin Luther. We as Christians can struggle with doubt. A lot of our doubt comes from the fact that we don't measure up. I mean, we can say like, or there's a lot of bad in the world, but really it comes down to the fact that like we stink and it's hard for us to believe that God would love us. But again, yeah. the resurrection comes around. And then when Martin Luther says, the reason you preach the gospel every day is because we forget it every day. Mm. And it is such good news to hear Christ is risen and because he lives, we'll live. Mm -hmm. And if you have to say it every day, there's no fault in that. No. So I think that's there is There is no fault in that. Absolutely. And, and even, and sometimes there's a phrase that I, I used to hate, but now I love it because again, I think it's experientially true in my life. Sometimes you fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Like when you have to do jobs that you're not real sure of, it won't help you to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you're terrible at it. But if you say, mm -hmm. okay, I can do this and mm -hmm. I'll just kind of fake it till I get it right. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to get it right. And I think right. that's where I'm at on that. I think that's where we, we apply this on doubts. Not bad. No, doubt no, can be bad if you if you abandon your commitment because you'll sure. never you'll never find it. I mean, like unless you're committed, right? Or and like I think a, that goes back to though something in our culture where again, where our young people feel like they have to have all this knowledge. I think in our culture we have we have painted failure as a bad thing, and and failure is not a bad thing. It's failure is an understanding of that's not how we do something but we need to get up and try again and figure out how we do do something. You know, I think the famous example that I can think of is Thomas Edison. How, how many times did he design the light bulb? Was it 99 times that he designed it and it didn't work in the hundredth time? 99 problems, but electricity wasn't one. Right. You know, I mean, it, he failed a lot to understand how that one yeah. thing worked. And when we are struggling with our, with our doubts, it's, that's not a necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's a strengthening thing. It's a growth thing. It's a helping us mature as a human being, mature in our faith, mature in our understanding. Cause I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't understand the scriptures the same way that I understood them when I was a teenager. Oh, not, you know, <laughs> I really hope not because my eyes have been opened and I see things 
a lot through my, my own life and just my own struggles that I have gone through. I see people and characters in the, in the scriptures completely different because I go, Oh, I recognize that now I can understand that. Cause I've walked through that fire. And so I understand how, when they came through the other side, how much that changed them as a person, because I've, I've walked through something similar in my own life. And that's, that's part of our, that's part of our process. That is a part of our process, but it is a reminder that we need to remember the good news every day, every day. I mean, like and, every day. And again, I'll just say, uh, God knows you better than you do. And he's not shocked that, you know, you, he, what Chris didn't get it right today. Whoa. <laughs> stop the sun. Strange news. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And then we go back to that prayer of, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Yeah, yeah. Help my unbelief today. I would be more worried if people would just, if they stopped praying that prayer, that would be where yeah. I think spiritually you would need to worry about more than just, I just don't get it. And I'm not real sure yeah. if God gets it right now either. I mean, I think there's, you know, anyway, sure. Yeah. That's what I got this week there, Reverend. Yeah. Awesome study teachers. I hope you really take time. There's a discussion at the end, um, offering time for people to really talk about their own testimony and how God helped them break through their own doubts. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't offer that opportunity for people to talk about it enough because it helped it helps strengthen that person. Every time they tell that story about how God helped them through something, but it also can help strengthen other people around them. So I hope you take an opportunity to do that today to hear about some stories about your own classmates and the things that they've gone through in their life. So, and this is a technically still Easter. So Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. All right. Blessings, my friends. Blessings.